Thank you, Denver. And as always, I forgot a couple of things. I did, I did have another prayer request I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, Bob Kelly, a pastor here in our county for years and years, is a member of the Pastoral Association. And every Monday morning, uh, pastors meet at the Methodist Church up on the hill, and they gather together, and they share scripture, and they pray. And uh, I'm not sure what all they do other than that, but I know Pastor Chuck is one of them, and, and Pastor Bobby Workman, uh, or a couple of them, and then Rick May, and uh, of course Ralph Hawkston was one of them. They all gather there on Monday mornings and share. That's a good thing for pastors to do on Monday morning. Uh, but this past Monday morning, they're up at the Methodist Church on the hill, and Pastor Bob Kelly had a heart attack. And he shared with us, he was at church this morning. As a matter of fact, I believe he's preaching at the Methodist Church up on the hill right now. So pray for Bob Kelly. But it was great when he was giving, uh, he was thanking God for you know what had, what had occurred. Um, he said that, you know, I, I felt dizzy, I felt sick, and all of a sudden I was out. And I had all these preachers around me, and instead of doing CPR on me, they prayed. And I know Chuck, and I know Rick May, and I know them other guys, and I'm glad that they weren't doing CPR on him. I, they, that's what they should have been doing was praying, okay? Uh, I don't want them guys doing CPR on me, and I'd rather have them pray. But anyway, pray for Bob Kelly. I believe with confidence that he's preaching up there this morning. And then also, a reminder that I didn't say in the announcements, and I'll better do it now or I'll forget, homecoming is at the end of the month. Uh, October 30th is our homecoming Sunday. We haven't got to have one of our kind of old-fashioned homecomings in a, in a while because of that five-letter word, uh, but this year we're going to do it. And the Father's Four, a lot of you older saints will remember the Father's Four. They will be singing for us with Rick Frazier, uh, taking the place of Bill John Sparks. Uh, but Pat Frazier will be here, and of course, uh, bass man and Ken Border. So the Father's Four will be singing, and then Pastor Rick will be preaching at 8.30 in their 11 o'clock service. And we are so excited and thankful for that. Across the hall from us on the wall there is a board where you can sign up. Uh, we're asking everybody to bring a covered dish. When I first looked at the sign about 8 o'clock this morning, I thought it was you had to put your name on what you wanted to eat. So I put my name on all four of the spots there that they have, but that's not what it's about. So we want you to bring a covered dish, whether it's a, a side dish or a dessert or whatever, and to sign up there so we know what all is being brought. Okay, that's it for the commercials. So I have a question for you. Have you ever been in conflict with someone? Uh, and I'm sure that everybody here would answer yes at some point or another, maybe even right now you are at conflict with someone. Conflict is a real part of our, our world that we live in, and we mentioned some of that when we were talking about prayer requests. We've all been there, whether it's a long, drawn-out conflict or sudden and sharp conflict. We've all been in conflict. I know folks that have been in conflict with others so long that they honestly don't know why the conflict started. They, they've been arguing for so long and at each other for so long, they don't remember why they actually started that way. And, of course, that reminds me of a story. There were two young kids that wanted to be married, and they came to Andy Taylor, because and, he was justice of the peace and wanted them to marry him. And so everything was great until he realized at the point of a, end of a shotgun barrel uh, that these two kids were part of families that were feuding. One was a Wakefield and one was a Carter. Uh, and so uh, they've been feuding for years and years. So Andy goes... He gets the idea, he wants to stop the feud, or at least find out where it started so maybe they could figure out how to stop the feud. And he goes to visit one of them, one of the dads, and the dad tells him, and so he asks him, you know, why are, why are you all feuding? And he says, well, I don't know. We're just a feuding. And he said, you come to find out that that guy's dad didn't know why they were feuding. And that guy's dad's dad didn't know why they were feuding. They were just feuding. It had been going on so long. 
that it was generations before before they even knew why they were feuding. But all he knew was, we're a feud. I know people that have been arguing for that long. Years and years and years feuding. The world is full of conflict is what I'm trying to say. And most conflict is selfish and evil in nature. That's where conflict, most conflict starts. It's selfish and evil in nature. We've been going through the book of James upstairs in youth for about a couple of months now. And James chapter 4 tells us where this starts from, where conflict actually starts. James chapter 4, and I'm reading from the ESV, verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The conflict starts within us. The war that goes on within us, that's what James just told us, all conflict starts inside of each one of us. Whether it's me and you having trouble, whether it's corporations having trouble, whether it's countries having trouble, conflict, whatever it is, it all starts within us. The war, the conflict, starts within us, and the world we live in today is full of conflict. Most of it is selfish and evil in nature. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, they have a thing that is called the Global Conflict Tracker. There are currently 27 ongoing conflicts on what is that? Going conflicts in the world today. And the tracker categorizes conflicts into three groups. They're either worsening, unchanging, or improving. And right now, not one of those 27 conflicts can be described as improving. Of those worsening are the conflict in uh, Ukraine, and we see that, we've really seen that the last couple of weeks, um, and the war that is still going on in Afghanistan, political instability in Lebanon, the war in Yemen, the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar, which used to be Burma, uh, and the conflict in Ethiopia. Two billion people, according to the tracker, currently live in conflict-affected areas. That's one quarter of the population of the entire world lives in conflict-affected uh, areas today. Some of the worst of those are Ethiopia's Tigray region, and that has been, uh, it's been war-ravaged for years. Same with South Sudan, Syria, Yemen, and Afghanistan. And this is really staggering to me, but last year, the United Nations reported that 84 million people were forcibly displaced because of conflict, violence, and human rights violations. 84 million. About 10% of those are from Ukraine alone, from the war in the Ukraine. This year, it is estimated that 274 million people will need humanitarian assistance. That's a whole lot of information that you may or may not need, but we do recognize that the world is full of conflict. The world that we live in today is full of conflict. Now, at the same time, whenever there is conflict, we see that there's also the work of the Lord opening doors. Doors that can be opened or that are open to forgiveness and understanding. Doors that are open to healing and restoration. We know from Scripture that when Joseph confronted his brothers who had been sent by their father Jacob uh, to find food because there was a famine that had spread throughout all of the area, all of the land, and these brothers who years before were going to kill him uh, and then decided to sell him into slavery and they made profit off of him, uh, 
uh, here Joseph confronts him in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, and says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God had opened many doors for Joseph arising out of conflict. Conflict in his life, and uh, God had opened many doors for Joseph from that conflict. There is conflict that comes from evil and selfishness, as we've said. Greed, bad intentions, and so on. That's where most of it originates from. But there is also such a thing as honest conflict. Me and you, or two people, just having honest disagreement. Okay? There is such a thing as that. And that's actually what we're going to see in the first scripture we're going to tear into this morning. In our scripture this morning, Paul is set to begin what we now call his second missionary journey. The first one's over. They've reported back to the church. And now they're getting ready to start the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas were going to, uh, to, to revisit all of the churches that they had started and the folks that they had ministered to or that they had ministered with in the first journey. They're wanting to go back. But before this second journey even gets started, there is conflict. So, turn your Bibles on or open them up to Acts chapter 15. We're going to back up into Acts 15, and I'm going to start uh, with verse 36, and I'm reading from the ESV. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 says, And after, uh, and after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, the conflict here we see between Paul and Barnabas, it was an honest conflict. They just disagreed about John Mark. John Mark had left him. Uh, Barnabas wanted him to come with him, and Paul thought best no. That's not going to serve us best uh, this time. That's an honest conflict because what's going on here is a difference that was focused on how to best carry out the mission of the Lord. That was the disagreement. That's what it was about. How to best carry out the mission of the Lord. And this is important. John Mark had left them. In the first voyage, uh, he, he left them, uh, left the ministry team. Barnabas wanted him to come with him. Paul did not. So they, they part ways. It says after, after a obviously strong disagreement, they parted ways, okay? But what's going on here is God used this conflict to create two mission teams out of one. It was only one mission team, and now they have two mission teams. Um, Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus, while uh, Silas and Paul went to Syria and Sicilia. God used this conflict to create two mission teams, and that increased the the effectiveness and the speed of what Paul and Barnabas had planned to do. So what we're seeing here is out of conflict, God's op God opens doors. And that makes me think, and I'm so thankful, of course, that uh, Rosanna and Lewis and the family can gather back together with us again. Several years ago, I guess now about seven years ago, we went on a youth mission trip to Detroit, Michigan. And we partnered with Rosanna's church at the time up in, uh, in Detroit. And we spent a week up there, and God blessed us. But in ways we didn't realize, 
when we get up there, they participated in a thing that they called dinner church. I'd never heard of dinner church before. But Rosanna's church in Detroit did that. And I think they did that two or three times that week. They, were, uh, they weren't starting a new church, but the church had relocated to a new building. And they were trying to build that church up in the neighborhood that, that God had placed them in. And they did this thing called dinner church. Well, we get back in that fall, just a couple of months later, maybe even just one month later, a couple of the ladies in our church uh, you know, came to me and said, why don't we do dinner church here? And so that's, that's where God opened that door for us in Detroit, Michigan, and now Dinner Church has been going on six or seven years here. Every month uh, for that long, that's a door that God opened for us. And out of that ministry came another ministry, and several of the ladies are sitting here this morning, and I remember when this happened, but I don't remember which lady it was. But one of the ladies, so every Tuesday, this was my first week of, uh, I told you, you know, being full-time here, and Chuck said we had an easy week. Well, I did learn one thing. In the morning, this place is busy. And especially on Tuesday morning, we have a bunch of ladies who gather together here on Tuesday morning and start cooking. And they provide meals that they take out uh, and give to members of our congregation and others who can't get out, who are still restricted about where they go and things that they do. Uh, And man, they're like worker ants. They're everywhere. Just working and getting these meals ready. That came out of dinner church. They had the idea, these ladies had the idea, why don't we do this because here... That big five-letter word, COVID, had hit us, and we had so many people that couldn't go out. So these ladies decided to start delivering meals on Tuesday mornings, and last month they delivered 150 meals out of this church to shut in. God opens doors. Out of different things, God opens doors. That's just two examples of ministries and doors that God will open for us. Um, God opens doors. Dinner church and delivering food are just two of those examples. Now, that's where we find ourselves at this morning. Paul and Barnabas have had this disagreement, an honest disagreement, but a disagreement just the same, and that's where we find ourselves at. The first door that God opened in in the scripture that we're getting ready to look at is the door of another helper. So, from Acts chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 1 and read 1 through 5. Acts 16, 1 through 5 says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. God opens the door here to Paul for another helper, and this guy's name is Timothy. We can see God loving on Paul and Silas right off the bat. As soon as they start out on this second journey, we can see God loving on them. It tells us they were faithful in making disciples, verses 1 through 3. It tells us that they were faithful in delivering the church's declaration on salvation and behavior. And that came, if you remember, a few chapters back from the Jerusalem Council. There were those Pharisees who insisted that you had to be circumcised unto salvation, okay? Um, That were still insistent upon that, okay? And they were faithful in declaring the decisions that were made by the churches on salvation and behavior. And they were faithful in bearing fruit. It tells us that the church was strengthened, verse 5. 
Now what's going on here, or what goes on, is Paul takes Timothy under his wing to develop and grow him in the faith. That is Discipleship 101. If you are a believer in this room, if you are a mature believer in this room, you are called to that too. We are called to make disciples. In the Great Commission uh, that James mentioned, we are called to make disciples, and that's what they do. And Timothy was destined to become one of the great servants of the early church. Uh, it is important for us to note here that Paul had Timothy circumcised in the scripture we just read. That's not because he was caving in to the group of Pharisees who insisted that this must occur for salvation. Paul wasn't caving in to them, but it was rather to show respect for Jewish law. And we see from the scripture that Timothy was only half Jewish. His dad was Greek, okay? Uh, his father was Greek. We also note that this same Timothy is the one who Paul wrote two letters to that God placed in his holy word that we know as First and Second Timothy. From conflict, God opened a door. We are told the church was strengthened in the Lord and that the gospel spread daily. Souls were added daily, verse 5. Now, one more thing about Timothy. It says in verse 1 that his mother was a believer. It doesn't tell us about his dad. His dad was Greek, but it doesn't tell us whether or not he was a believer. But it does tell us that his mom was. So God had opened a door for Timothy's mom to teach and to raise her son in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And she walked through that door. We see it in Scripture. Okay? We know this to be true because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Paul writing for Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So not only did Timothy's mom walk through that door, but his mom's mom did too. We know that to be true because it's in Scripture. So I want to say this. If you have children in your care, if you have grandchildren in your care, if you have children under any circumstance under your care, God has opened that door for you too. If you have children under any circumstance that are under your care, God has opened that door for you too. And how important is it for children to have godly adults in their lives? We know that. Look at the world we live in. How important is that? Scripture constantly reminds us of the importance of being godly parents or godly, godly leaders of the household. We have Abraham commanding his children to keep the way of the Lord. Genesis 18, 19. We have Jacob demanding that his household put away false gods. Genesis 35, 2. We have Joshua declaring uh, that he and his family, that he and his household would serve God. Joshua 24, 15. We have Manoah praying for God's guidance in raising a child that hasn't even been born yet. We have one of my favorite scriptures, Mark chapter 15. I love all of Mark chapter 15. And here we have the man that was possessed by demons that Jesus had saved. He had cast the demons out of him and saved him. And he is told to go home and bear witness. He wanted to go with Jesus, if you remember from that scripture. He wanted to go with him. God had saved him. And he wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus told him to go home and bear witness. How important it is that we have godly adult leaders in, in our household, in our church, in our household, in our schools, wherever we're at. And remember from just a few chapters ago, that guy named Cornelius, uh, Acts chapter 10, who led his whole household to fear God. How important is it for children to have godly adults in their lives? So we see 
that God opens doors out of conflict. And God opens doors for other helpers like us. The second door that we see God open in this passage is the door of another place. Acts chapter 16, verse, starting in verse 6, says this. And they went through the region of Phrygia, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Galatia, having been for, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, uh, verse 11, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. So, the door of another place was opened after God had closed the door that Paul wanted to go through. Paul wanted to go to one place, and God told him no. He closed that door, okay? It tells us that the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. Now, we know here that Paul and his companions had wanted to go north, uh, only to be stopped by the Holy Spirit, and they ended up really kind of going northeast, I guess is really what it was. Um, and when they, when, when, when they went south, they had to go back down south to Troas. That is where God gave Paul the vision, and the vision was to go into what we now today know as Europe. And what a big deal that is for us. We need to stop here and recognize how big that is for us. That is how the gospel got to us. Right here is where it started. God told him, uh, you're forbidden to speak in Asia. And then he sent him into what we now today know as Europe. What a big deal that is. And we're told, when Paul was given this vision, it says immediately they went where God told them. Now, we here today can learn from this scripture, okay? When God closes a door for you, don't be discouraged. When you see God close a door for you, do not be discouraged. God could be protecting you when he closes a door. Okay? Or God and God alone knows that he might be needing you somewhere else. So don't be discouraged. When he closes the door, South Korea. God needs people to go to South Korea. Thank God for that. God alone knows when we need to be protected, and God alone knows where he wants us to be at. The vision God gave Paul changes everything. It said in there that the cry uh, from the man uh, of Macedonia was that the cry was to come over to Macedonia and help us. The word that is actually used there is beg. He was begging him in this vision. Please come to us. Now, I want to tell you here, the world that we live in today, there are people begging to hear the word of Christ, and they don't even know it. The man in the vision did know it. But there are people who are, will try anything, whether it's sex, drugs, pornography, on and on, war, power, money, whatever it is, uh, people searching, people begging for Christ and they don't know. There are people begging to hear the word of Christ and don't know it, and that's what the word there means. When God opens a door of ministry to us, to you, we should take notice that souls are ready and crying for help today, more than ever. 
there are more souls on the earth today, living souls, um, than ever before, and they're crying for help. Just as much today as they were on that day. Just as much as on that day. The harvest is truly ripe. We know that. Now, the need is now, and the need is great. So my question for you is, you individually, where is the Lord wanting to send you today? It may be when you get home. That's your harvest field. It may be your neighbor across the street. It may be somebody in your classroom, at your workforce, wherever it is. Ask yourself, where is the Lord wanting to send you today? So here we have Paul and his party, and they set off from Troas to Samothrace, Neapolis, and then to Philippi. Philippi, we were told, is a Roman colony, and it's actually a really important city. Philippi is the gateway to Europe. We said that here it is, God is telling him to go to Europe, and here's the gateway. Philippi is the door, if you would. It's the gateway. Uh, and so remember, when God closes a ministry door to us, don't be discouraged, but follow his directions. That's what we see from this right here. Don't be discouraged, but follow his directions. Remember in Acts chapter 9, uh, a few weeks ago when we went through the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the spirit of the, the angel of the Lord told Philip to head south towards Gaza, and he does that, and he comes up on this uh, Ethiopian eunuch who's in a chariot, and he happens to have the Bible in his hand, as it was known back then, uh, in the book of Isaiah. Philip runs into the eunuch, and after conversation and reading of Scripture, Philip preaches to him, and the eunuch, the Ethiopian, is saved. And then it tells us he was immediately baptized, okay? So the eunuch is saved and then immediately baptized. And then what does God do after that? God opens doors to another helper in another place. We see that Philip was taken up into the air and put somewhere else where he was to serve. And the Ethiopian eunuch, we say, it says, went on his way rejoicing. Most Bible scholars believe that this Ethiopian eunuch was responsible, at least one of the people responsible, responsible for starting the church in Ethiopia, which is still to this day the oldest church in the world. God opens doors. Man, he did that day. God opens doors to another helper, and God opens doors to another place. The third door that God opens in this scripture is the door to another heart. Uh, we'll finish up with reading Acts 16, 13, 14, and 15. So Acts chapter 16, verse 13 says this, And on the Sabbath day, when we went outside, on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer. Where we supposed, I'm sorry, there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I love this scripture. And I hope you do. I hope you do too. I love this scripture. It records for us the first person ever converted in Europe. It was Lydia. The first person ever, ever saved in Europe was a businesswoman named Lydia. What a great example of the power and grace of our Lord. She was a professional woman who sought and worshipped God. It tells us there that Lydia was a, Lydia was a Jewish proselyte. Okay, she had been converted unto the Jew, to the Jewish faith. Okay, so she was a believer in that sense, as well as could be. 
But here on this day, it says she listened and she heard the gospel. And she had her heart opened by the Lord. And all this is found in that powerful verse 14. It also says Lydia opened her home and used her wealth for the Lord. She desired to be faithful and to be counted as faithful to the Lord. And we can see that she was determined to have a strong testimony in following Christ. Right off the bat. Lydia obeyed her Lord by taking what she had and used it for the Lord. Giving generously to the cause of the Lord. And Lydia probably, and we can see this here, uh, took the lead in her church, in her new church, in giving liberally, giving freely of what she had. And I will tell you this, the Philippian church was the greatest supporter of Paul and his ministry team. They were the backbone of the support for Paul and his ministry team. And we can see here that Lydia probably had a lot to do with that. The church in Philippi was more faithful than any other church. Philippians chapter 1, verses 5-7 through seven tells us, and this is the letter that Paul is delivering to this same church, it says, 5-7, through seven, Because of your partnership in the, in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, I want us, for us to see something here, okay? God's Word tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verses 14 and 15 this. It says, And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Of whom they have not heard. That's what was going on with the, the eunuch, with Philip and the eunuch, okay? How shall they believe in him of, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? When it says in the scripture in, in Acts that Lydia uh, listened and heard the gospel, it actually tells us that what she did was she sat up in her chair, she perked up, and she listened on purpose. She listened intently to what Paul was saying, okay? And how miserable of me, most of my life, I was, as James testified here the other day, when I was a kid, uh, mom and dad drug us to church when I was a little kid. When, and that was in West Virginia. When we moved to Kentucky, we didn't go. We just fell out of church. Uh, we went some to the, to the Smith Chapel on the point section, but that was just because Granny Little made us. Um, but we didn't go. And then, a few years later, when I was in my later teen years, James was saved. My mom and my dad both rededicated their life to the Lord. They all started going to church on the point section, and I went with them, just trying to, because Mama wanted me to go, so I went. But the truth is, from then until in any other time, until I was 36 years old, when I went to church, what I was thinking of, whenever somebody was standing up here like me speaking, what I was thinking of was maybe how everybody was dressed or how many pretty girls were there or what I was going to get to eat after church. That was really important to me. Or who was playing on TV when I got home. That was really important to me. I never cared much for what the, the guy had to say or when they were singing or when they were praying or any of that and how miserable of me that was. That's not Lydia. Lydia perked up in her seat and listened intently to what Paul had to say, okay? That wasn't me, unfortunately, for most of my life. Lydia had her heart opened by the Lord. And it's also important to know this. And church, hear me. Nobody is saved by the preacher. There has never been a preacher that has saved one person. God saves people. Preachers do not save people. God is the one who saves people. God saved Lydia, God saved me, and God saved you. If you're saved, 
God saved you. Now the preacher is needed to bear witness. Remember Romans chapter 10? But God does the saving. So the question for you is this morning, has the Lord opened your heart? Has He ever gotten your attention? Have you ever perked up, set up, and listened on purpose to what God was telling you? Has God ever opened your heart? Heard the gospel of Christ and Him being full of grace, mercy, saved your soul? Is that you? The good news is, if that is not you, and you are in this room, today's the day. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. He is knocking on your heart door today. Today is the day of salvation. We notice that it was not just Lydia, but it was also her whole household, is what it says. It was baptized right along with her. Now, remember, Lydia was wealthy. She was a businesswoman. This probably included a lot of people. She had servants. She had people under her, including family. So this was probably a large group of people that were baptized. That baptized service that day was a big service, okay? And immediately after she was saved and baptized, Lydia opened her home and used her wealth for service to the Lord. God opens the door for a new helper. God opens the door for a new place. And God opened the door for a new heart. And her name was Lydia. And finally, in Revelation chapter 3, the glorified Christ is speaking through John to the church in Laodicea. Hear this. The church in Laodicea seemed like they had it going on. That church had money, uh, and they felt like that was all they needed. And a lot of people thought the church in Laodicea had it going on. But they had trouble just like our churches today. Lukewarm Christians dominated the congregation of that church. So much so that apparently, uh, not apparently, but so much so, they felt like money was all that they needed, Christ runs them over the coals, so to speak. He really beats them up over it, okay? But then Christ lifts them back up. He says in verses 19 and 20, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The question for you is, do you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today? Is it for salvation? Is Jesus knocking at the door of your heart for salvation? Or, believers in the room, is he knocking at the door of your heart uh, for you to start your own Discipleship 101 class? Is there somebody, a new helper, that God has laid before you that as a mature believer you're to pick up and to, to push them along, to help them to grow in their faith? Has God opened that door? Has God, is God opening the door for you for a new place? Maybe it's a ministry in your work that you've been considering, but you're like, I don't know, I don't know what the response will be, any of that, or in your home, or in the neighborhood you live in, or here at church, or wherever it is. Is God knocking on the door of your heart for a new place? God does that. We know that God does that. Is God knocking on the door of your heart for a new heart? You've been a believer for a long time, but maybe you're lukewarm. God's knocking on the door of your heart to light a fire under that door to spark you back into serving Him the way we see Lydia did right off the bat. Do you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today? A new helper, a new place, a new heart. We do know this. God opens doors. Is He knocking on the door of your heart today? Let's pray. Lord, we love You and we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and for the Scripture that we have here, Lord. Um, we're thankful that we see that... Lord, when you close some doors, that you know best. 
It may be to protect us. It may be because you want us somewhere else. But Lord, we're thankful that you open doors. And if we lean on you for guidance and direction, we hear and we know the promise that you will be with us and you will not forsake us. You will not lead us. We know that you know what is best for us, so Lord, help us to embrace that in our heart. Lord, give us the heart of a new helper. Give us the heart wherever you're sending us to. Give us the heart for serving you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, if you would stand. That's your invitation today. Is God speaking to you about your heart? It's a heart condition. Is God speaking to you about your heart today? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the thing. church have a seat uh, and I'll ask our ushers I think do we take up offering in here now I'm never here at 11 o'clock I'm, I'm, I'm here at church but I'm upstairs so if we can have our ushers do we take offering in here is that how we do it now all right ushers come forward we're going to take an offering I think I asked the last time I did. Uh, and as we do that reminder that we are having uh, six o'clock the normal six o'clock services here in the sanctuary we'll be meeting starting upstairs in the youth room for fields of faith and I'm not sure we may be going to the ball field after that. I'm not sure about that. But come back and join us at 6 this evening. I will tell you this also. You may have noticed that Pastor Chuck was not here. Uh, he, he wasn't feeling that good this morning. He came and was here for the 830 service, but he wasn't feeling that good. So pray for Pastor Chuck. Um, and then remember also all the activities we have going on this week. And I'm going to ask uh, Randy Hinkle. Randy, if you would bless the offering and... Okay, instead of playing, I'm going to talk to you guys for just a second. Um, like Tim mentioned just a little bit ago, our church is having a homecoming again on October 30th. And um, in addition to the Father's Four and Brother Rick coming down, um, the choir is going to get back together and, and sing a couple songs. So the problem with that is that we don't really have a choir, so you all need to come and sing <laughs> If you have any interest at all in singing in a choir setting, um, we are practicing at 5 o'clock on Sundays. We'll have practice here in the choir room at 5 o'clock, um, and we'll end soon enough for you to be able to get over to Fields of Faith this evening. So please, if you're interested at all to help us with that, um, if you have any questions, you can come and see me. I'm usually hanging around up here or in the lobby for a little while after church. Um, that's it. And with that being said, y'all are dismissed. <laughs>
Your name is power.